Well, I welcome you. If you're new today, as Matt said, our mission is to help more people more often say yes to God, to hear that voice, to really, really tune into that voice and to follow him. We're not just trying to peddle a religion, you know, get, get a bunch of rituals down and, and you're fine, but really listen to the Lord. And I've had a, a lot of feedback over the last several weeks of people who've, who've been listening to the Lord in these areas that we've been talking about. We're talking about life swap. This is actually the last message in the series. And we've looked at things like um, like failure and how we swap this old idea that failure and the regret that goes with it into a mindset of it's, it's helping me to grow, that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let failure bog me down, but I'm actually going to grow. We looked at worry, how worry grabs a hold of us and keeps us from enjoying the blessings God gives. And instead, now we give our worries to God in prayer and this peace that passes understanding fills us. We, we talked about anger and how we're to take off anger and put it aside and put on kindness. And we do that through forgiving those who've hurt us, those who've angered us. And last week, we talked about one that's probably very common with most of us, grumbling, and how Scripture has a lot to say about grumbling and what grumbling does to our relationship with God. And I have to tell you that um, as we've learned to replace grumbling with gratitude, it was like God put me in several situations this week and said, okay, pastor, let's see how you do with this. And it was like, you know, getting put on hold and processing things on phone with a company for two hours. It's so frustrating. And um, going to a store that I'm told is open and they're closed, that's frustrating. Um, just, just one thing after another, it seemed. And I'd have to stand back and say, uh, part of me was arguing, say, but God, this is something worth, that you could really grumble legitimately about. And, uh, but I had to stop and say, but I'm thankful, God, that I have life, I have breath. This is frustrating, and I'm going to vent with you, um, but I thank you for life. And we're going to get through this. We're, we're, it's going to be okay. Today we're going to wrap it up by talking about uh, swapping isolation for connection. Swapping isolation for connection. It's interesting that we live uh, on a planet that has more people than we've ever had, and yet loneliness is a bigger problem than, than it's ever been. One of our soldiers, retired military guys, um, showed me a book. He said, man, this book has uh, really spoke to him, but really was saying something I think he was feeling and it's called um, Tribe by Sebastian Younger. And I read the book, and I've listened to him. He does a TED Talk, and he's a journalist, spent um, a couple weeks with the Northern Alliance in Afghanistan before 911, and he saw, he saw a, lot of, uh, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of violence. But he said that didn't shake him up as much as this. When he got back to the States, he was in a New York subway, and he said all of a sudden he was overwhelmed by this, this, this paralyzing feeling of fear. He said, all of a sudden, it seemed like lights were too bright, noises were too loud, people were moving too fast. It was just all the stuff around him, and he was experiencing what he later realized, because at the time, they didn't call it PTSD, but that's what he was experiencing. And he wondered why he didn't experience that in Afghanistan, but he was experiencing it here in the United States. He began to look back at the war history of our country, from the Civil War to the present. He said, the, the actual combat has become less gruesome and fewer casualties as we've gone, but, he said, the, the number of disabilities has gone up. The number of people struggling to readjust after war has actually gone up, and he says, that's, that's really strange. I, I'm not sure why that is. And then he began to reflect on his past um, studies of Indian tribes, the Comanches and Apaches and various tribes. Some of, some of them are known as warriors, and he noticed that when, when many of the, the men went off to battles, they would come back home to their tribes, and there was little depression, loneliness, and mental illness taking place. Very, very rare was there a suicide. He said, why is that? Because in our culture, it's not true. 
And he, and he understood this. This is so critical, and this is why the book's called Tribe. He said the people, when they came back, were embraced by their community. They had a tribe to go back to, a tribe that understood what was happening out there, a tribe that they could easily slip back into and do life. And he, and he noticed what happens in our culture is, is men and women go off to war, and this is really true of the Vietnam War. They come back, and the culture actually has ambivalent feelings toward them. Actually says, I don't even know if you should have been over there in the first place. And while these men and women have experienced traumatic things overseas, what some of the worst trauma they experience is right here when they get home. And they're not understood, and they're not able to readjust to society. They're kind of put off to the fringes. And that's why, um, so even today, I think there's it's 20-some veterans of the Vietnam War commit suicide. More than any other war, and it's because that was the most misunderstood battle we've ever been in. You know, we, we have a problem with, with isolation, a problem with this, this, this idea of being connected. In fact, he makes this comment that, I, that the issue isn't the war. The issue is here, and rather than call it PTSD, he says we should call it PTAD, post-deployment alienation disorder. And he said what actually exacerbates this problem is in our culture, the Western culture, we're very... Pretty, we're very well off. Got a lot of money. Wealth is, is, is pretty common. And he noticed that when wealth goes up in a culture, so does depression, loneliness, mental illness, and suicide. And he said the reason for that is you don't need other people. In poorer areas, in third world countries where people have to depend on one another for water, food, clothing, transportation, all that stuff, people are better adjusted than in our own country. See, the, we don't realize this. The American dream is part of the problem. The success we're experiencing in our own culture actually is fulfilling a diabolical purpose in isolating us. And you know what he says is the most, the, the loneliest person? The middle-aged American male. In a 10-year span, actually it was an 11-year span, 1999 to the year 2000. They found that... Uh, 20% of people in 1999 uh, felt they were chronically lonely, and in just 11 years, it went up to 33%. And the number of suicides among middle-aged men went up 50% in 11 years, just a short period of time. And, and he just began to think, we've got to address this issue in our culture of getting people connected, especially the men. And so I'm going to ask you as we go into this talk today about ex exchanging isolation for connection, something God's a big advocate of, that we would maybe listen in a, in a new way, because it's more important than you think. So Father, speak to us now. Help us, Lord, to understand how important it is to be connected not only to you, but to your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a passage from the book of Romans. But before I actually read it, I want to share with you, Paul was a missionary that, that went into Rome. Rome was a very religious culture. Uh, they had their Greek gods, if you remember from high school, uh, Greek mythology. Every home seemed to have a god. And Caesar was their lord. And Paul comes into Rome with this message that, no, no, Caesar's not lord, Jesus is lord. There, are, there is only one god, not many gods. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. 
And people embraced that message. And men and women, hundreds of them, were baptized and entered into this, this new community called the church. And as Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says the church is going to do something your government can't do for you. It's going it's to provide a community. And so he says in uh, Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read verse 5, in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. One body, each member belongs to all the others. You and I are called to believe in Jesus, but it goes beyond that. We're called not only to believe, but to belong, to belong, to be connected with one another. Now, I want to share with you for a few minutes why that's so important, because immediately some of you are saying, oh, pastor, I just don't like people. I don't get along with people. People drive me crazy. People think differently than me, and I can't stand to be around them. And I just want to share with you that, that we all feel that to some degree, but the truth is if everyone were like you or everyone like me, this would be a pretty pathetic world. We need each other. We need the variety. We need to learn to adjust even our own views and, and to bring balance into our lives, and we do that through relationships with other people. And one of the main reasons why we need to be connected is because God is forming a family. He doesn't just care about you getting to heaven. He, he cares about this, this community called, called his family. And it starts in the Old Testament when God, God had a people, the nation of Israel. Did you know the name Israel was the name given to a man named Jacob? And Jacob had um, a bunch of sons. And those sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And almost the entire Old Testament is a record of God's dealings with that family of Israel. And that when we come to the New Testament, God has a family called the church, and, and the believing Israelites were brought into that, but Gentiles were added to that. And this new family is really the story of the New Testament. It's what God is doing in and through his church. And so we read a passage like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his own household, members of his household, members of his family. When you are a member of a family, you belong. When you're a member of a family, think about your own family. You eat together. You talk together. You do chores together. You interact with each other. It's not just a collection of people that happen to share a house. So when we're members of God's family, we belong to each other, and it's different than the popular concept of membership. Uh, I've got a card in my wallet. It's a Costco card. I'm a member. <laughs> member of Costco. I've uh, got a membership at Gold's Gym. Got a, a membership with Amazon Prime. Get my packages in two days. Love Amazon Prime. <laughs> but you know what? All these memberships that I have are all similar. A lot, of, lot of benefits of being a member. And no real commitment required. I mean, the gym doesn't care if I ever show up. Costco doesn't care if I ever show up. Amazon Prime doesn't care if I ever order anything or not. It's, it's very one-sided. That's not the membership the Bible talks about. Membership is a mutual commitment to one another. It's being, it's being responsible. It's having, it's having a commitment to the relationship. And in our culture today, commitment is so looked down upon that people are dating forever, never get married. But, but you and I know that if you're in a relationship... 
There comes a point in time where you say, do you know what? This is the woman I want to spend the rest of my life. This is the man I want to build a family with. And we have a commitment called a wedding, arrangement called a marriage. We seal it with rings. And you know that you're crossing the line when you make that commitment. There are a lot of people today who look at church kind of like a dating relationship. You know, they've got the best music over there, the best preaching over there, and the great best kids program there, and I pick up stuff on, online, and it's kind of like you're dating all around. Never committed to a place, never committed to that people, just committed to programs. Just, just very one side. it's all about what I get. And I'm just telling you, there, there needs to come a time where you say, these are my people. These are the people I want to grow with. These are the people that can count on me. It's, it's, it's the same thing from moving from the grandstand of being a fan to a player on the field. Do you know that the, the, the people in the stands, they can take it casually, they can cheer, and they can, they can boo, and, and they can give their tickets to someone else. But you know what? I've never seen a player on the field boo one another. I've never seen a well, I, on a rare occasion, see a player walk off the field, but, <laughs> but most of them won't do that. They, even if they're getting beat 50 to nothing in football, they're saying, we are, this is my team. We're going to battle it together. And, and when you commit to a church, you're saying, I, I don't want to be a spectator in the stands anymore. I want, to, I want to be a player on the field. I want to roll up my sleeves. I want to get to work, use my gifts, invest my money, I, I, and put my energy into these people, because not because they're perfect, but because they become my church family. And, and we need that. That's why every few months we offer what's called a membership class. Now, I know I've heard people say, Pastor, I don't believe in membership. Well, honestly, I don't either. I believe in Jesus. And, and I believe in Jesus' bride called his church. And I believe what God is doing through Jesus' church in the world today. And that's why I believe I should be committed to his bride like he's committed to his bride. And so I'm just asking you, don't date the church. I mean, check it out for a while, but then... But, but honestly, some, some of you have been coming to this church for years. Never just said, hey, these are my people. Because when you cross the line, you're now saying, okay, I am committed here. So the next membership class we're having is March 18th. It's in two weeks from yesterday. Um, we don't normally do it on a Saturday, but we're doing a special one-day membership class. Pastor Sam and I are going to join Barry and Sue Dodson, who are right over here. And they lead it and do a wonderful job. And you get to know about our church, our vision, what we're trying to accomplish, get to meet some of the leaders. But most importantly, understand, if I commit here, what, what's expected of me and what will the church do for me? Because we want to help you grow to reach your fulfillment in Christ. Now, I, I went a little longer on that one just because I want you to know that God is up to growing a family. Secondly, I need to be connected to others because loneliness is lethal. Loneliness is lethal. The effects of loneliness are compared to the effects of smoking, that there's an increased advancement of Alzheimer's, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, and even cancer. As I said, the suicide rates go up among the lonely. Literally, it's lethal. And that's why God said in the book of Genesis, in in creation, he made Adam, and he said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It is not good for man or woman to be alone. It's not good to be by yourself. It can be torture. Some of you know that. You've lost a significant other in your life. Or maybe you've moved in and never really adjusted to Colorado Springs. 
and you know the pain of loneliness, I have to tell you, it can be, it can be greater than physical loneliness, I mean, physical pain. The, 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 the agony of being lonely is, is just um, debilitating. It affects you deeply and can lead you to the point of taking your own life. It really is lethal. Don't be a lone ranger. And you need to know this. Even the lone ranger had his tanto, okay? <laughs> I need to be connected to others because people need me. People need me. Back to the book of Romans in the 10th chapter. Excuse me, 12th chapter, verse 10. Paul's describing again that same chapter, what it's like to be part of the family. He says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to people and honor them above yourselves. There's so many one another passages in Scripture. Uh, Teach one another, encourage one another, accept one another, carry one another's burdens, be kind to one another, uh, all those. And you can't do those one another's without being close to people that need you, that need to be taught, need to be encouraged, need to be forgiven, need to be accepted. People need what Jesus wants to do through you. Another picture of membership in the, in the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians 12. And in that chapter, Paul says, we're all like parts of a body. Some of us are like eyes. Some of us are like ears. Some of us are like the, the mouth. And he said, detached, we don't have much value. Connected to the body, we have great value. Last summer, I stopped at a garage sale over on Security Boulevard. You know where that big tricycle is with the, with the big bear? Uh, it was right there. And, and there was a box with Mr. Potato Heads and parts. And there were, there, there were all these parts there. And I went, holy smokes, I get to pick my own Mr. Potato Head. And, uh, and of course, when you start putting these parts together, he comes alive. You put a, you know, he's got to have a mouth and a nose. He's looking pretty dandy there. Not going to end up on anybody's lunch table looking like this. He gets his arm. Get some feet on this guy. Okay. And all he needs now is a woody type hat. There he is. And you put all those parts together, and it makes somebody. And he looks adorable now, doesn't he? But you know what? In the box, there was no personality, no life. And what Paul's trying to tell us in 1 Corinthians 12 is you really are, are, are kind of meaningless apart from the body. You have to be connected to one another. It's not just about you. It's about, it's about being connected to one another. See, one of, the, one of the downfalls in our culture is, in the Western culture, you've gotten this idea that uh, my relationship with Jesus is my personal relationship. It's just about me and, and the Lord. And there is a part of that's true. Yes, it's, it's not, it, it, it's a personal one. You personally can have a relationship with God, but it's not just about you. It's this way too. That's why the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is this, is this vertical um, trunk. And then this way is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said those are inseparable. You can't even say you love God if you hate other people. They, they go together. But in our culture, we've, we've been able to tell people, oh, you can have a great relationship with the Lord, have personal Bible study, turn on your music, and never, never deal with other people. But that's not the case. We, we've got to be connected to the body. We, we've got to do what we, we, we're asked to do. So when the eye 
sees something and says, you know, you need to go help that person. The feet get in motion. And they start moving, getting you over to where it needs to be. Or, or the ear hears something and says, hey, mouth, you need to respond. And they work together. They work in conjunction. And we've got a lot of parts inside here that are unseen. would probably look gross if you'd show each other your pancreas and kidney and all that right now. But they're very vital. You need those things because they're all part. Some parts of the church are very visible. They're up on stage. You see them in the foyer. There are a lot of parts of the church that are hidden, that are behind the scenes, but just as equally important. So Paul tells us, when he writes about this description in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 24. Um, wrong page here. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so we are affected by each other. That's why even in a worship experience as a community, there are things that can happen in a community that can't happen in your own personal worship. We, we come together because when one part rejoices, we rejoice. One part aches and hurts, we hurt. And we come together. We pray for each other. We, we uplift one another. We celebrate with, with each other. Well, finally, the, the fourth reason why relationships are so critical is, is in them I find my purpose for life. I, I think sometimes we see people as the problem. You know, they complain a lot. They're gossipy. They're rude. And I just, you know, people are the problem. And, and why they do cause problems, people are the purpose. They really are a purpose. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, Now go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. If you're going to make a disciple, you better like people. And at the end of our lives, when we're laying on our deathbed, it's going to be people we're thinking of, not, not the plaques on the wall that said how great we were, not the, not the, the size of the house or the, or, the, or the car we rebuilt that looks so great. You know, those are the kind of things we're going to be thinking of at that last moment. It'll be the relationships, the people we help bring to the Lord and the people we helped love. I'm by nature an introvert. That might surprise some of you, but, but, but a lot of us that are pastors actually are inter- introverts. I've seen a lot of pastors who, in preaching every week, would describe themselves as an introvert. Now, if you want to know if you're an introvert or extrovert, intro, it, it just, just ask yourself, where do you get energy? Do you get it from being with people or being away from people? And if, and if you're the kind of person that says, man, I need a party right now. I just... <laughs> Got to be around the people. I just like people. Um, that's where you get energized from. That's great. That's awesome. But some of us, um, as much as we love people and being in those atmospheres, we need to get away to get refueled so we can then deal with the people at the party. So, so we get away, and sometimes the best times we have are these quiet times or out, out on the hike in the mountains, and we get refilled there. I think the reason why a lot of pastors are that way is if, if we got our energy from being with people, we would never write a sermon. Because you've got to get alone. You've got to dig in. You've got to listen to the Lord. And so maybe that's part of it. But I remember in high school when I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, the natural thing seemed to be to go into computer science. I love computers. I seem to be good at it. I like math. And when it got right, right before the start of the college year, it was like in July of the summer, I just felt this real conviction from the Lord. Are you going to be able to do what I want you to do, sit by on a computer all day? I thought, well, I can do it on the weekends. I can do it in the evenings. I can get involved with church. 
And I just felt like the path I was wanting to go on wasn't really bringing me joy thinking about it. So I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go off to a Bible college, get to know the Bible better, and try to listen to the Lord, what he would have for me. And God began to open door after door that led me into working with people from different ministry opportunities and choices to get to this church here. And, and it, it's helped me knowing that, that most of my life has been involved with helping people get closer to the Lord, fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, you don't have to be a pastor to do that, but I'm just telling you our purpose is people. And that's why, again, uh, in Romans, this time chapter 13, it says we have a debt to society. But here's the debt. Let no, no debt remain outstanding among you except for the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves has fulfilled the law. And so we have a, there's one thing we owe our, our society, our families, our church, is the, is the debt, continuing debt, to love, to love. So how can we do that better? Well, I think, first of all, we, we've got to resist this cultural slide to isolate ourselves. I didn't really realize this until I started studying this week of, of, of what our society has done. I grew up in Wisconsin, which is the dairy state. A lot of my friends, when I was a kid, uh, were farmers. So they got up in the morning, milked the cows, they bailed hay, they, they detasseled corn. I mean, they're out in the fields, they'd work with their family. Sometimes hired hands would join them, and they're always involved together doing work. And then they would break and have, have lunch together, all sit down at a table and eat. And uh, my dad wasn't a farmer, though. My dad worked at the factory. My dad was part of the industrial age. He went and operated machines, machines that helped make parts for other machines. So he would, he would grind things and drill things. And uh, my dad never developed great people skills, I think partly because he didn't deal a lot with people. And now we come to today, which, which would be called the technological age or information age. We, we do everything by computers, it seems, and our, our cell phones. I mean, you can walk anywhere. Even right now, a bunch of you have your cell phone in front of you. I mean, that's the powerful device. But you know what it's done to us? It has isolated us from other people. We've gone from working together on the farm to working a machine to where you can actually go through your day now with very little encounters with people. I can actually shop online now. I don't do Black Thursday anymore or, or uh, Black Friday anymore. <laughs> don't burn the turkey, okay? Don't burn that turkey. Black Friday. And you know what? I, I don't even bother with the crowds anymore. I'm going online. Cyber selling. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go cyber sales. And you can now, um, I know Sarah's here. Uh, she said, I order my groceries at Walmart, and I just go online and pay my bill, and I just drive up and pick them up. And you can do that now. You, you don't have to encounter people. But, but. Sometimes it's very convenient, but it's very easy now to, to be so isolated that it's, our whole world now is through a screen. And those are the people we interact with. And we actually think that I have, you know, 800 friends because they call me friend on Facebook, and, and, but I never do anything with them. So you have to do this. You have to actually engage with the world. That's why it's okay to stop and go inside the bank and talk to a teller. That's why it's okay to go to a coffee shop and sit down and interact with people. We've got, to, we've got to fight this, this slide because I think it's Satan's tactic that he's just celebrating. I'm going to isolate people from one another. We need to also understand that I am healthier when I'm vulnerable. Why do we isolate ourselves? I think part of the reason is if I'm isolated, I'm insulated. If, if people don't 
don't get around me. They're never going to know what's going on inside of me. And so there's, there's this incredible pressure we have to be acceptable. So we dress certain ways. We talk certain ways. We don't let people know what we're really thinking uh, or, or we don't let people know about our history because why? They might not accept us. And so we close in and we just give what's acceptable. But you know, that's not healthy. That's why we have classes like Healing Journey for people to get their junk out in a safe place. You know, I'm part of a small group, and I love the fact that it's, it's, it's a safe place for us to share with our group, not with the whole church, but with that group, areas we struggle with in our lives, things that we've not, not done well, things we're not proud of. And it's a safe place because here's what happens. You know, they say confession is good for the soul. Confession is bringing into the open what's been hidden. It's kind of like taking someone to a place in your house and say, you know what, this door's been locked. And I keep a lock for a reason, but I'm going to open it for you to see. And you open it, let them look in there. And when they don't throw up and don't freak out and walk away, and they go, yeah, that's kind of like my closet. You go, really? <laughs> really? Yeah, I've got, I've got a closet kind of like that myself. Oh, good. Then I'm, I'm, not, I'm not such a rotten person. No. Your person that's broken, your person in process, but it, but it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to open yourself to someone else, and a lot of us are too scared of that, and we won't do it. So I'm just telling you, you will be healthier if you can find a place where you can be vulnerable. You need it emotionally, spiritually. And then um, make love and relationships my goal. I had to make sure to get the second part, and I didn't stop with make love, Okay. <laughs> Make love and relationships your goal. Again, that is why God has left us here. If it was all about just me and God, then, then hold me under the water, let me die and go to be with him. But he's left me here for a reason, to influence my family, influence my neighbors, influence other people, to love the people around me. Yes, there will be bills to pay. Yes, there are things that you just have to do. But what if, what if you actually approached things and said, you know what, I have to... I have to do my job, and my job's not a pastor. Okay. Love the people at your job. Love the people you work beside. Get to know their names, their family, their interests. Find out what they struggle with, what they celebrate. Maybe, maybe a door will open up for you to pray for one of them. Get to know those people. In 1 Corinthians 13, which, which follows the part where, where Paul was talking about the body parts, he says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, all these things he says you could do are pretty good things. Faith to move mountains, giving your body to the flames. All these things, like, wow, this person's super spiritual. He goes, no, because they don't love. They're a big, fat zero. Zero. You gain nothing. He says, you are nothing. Uh, Rick Warren doesn't say it as poetic as Paul, but he just says, life minus love equals zero. And so we have to make relationships priority. See, when you're in an environment like even church, get to know the people around you. We don't want you to come in here and think it's a performance. It's like a theater. You all, all look up here. Everything's here on the screen or on the stage. No, we want you to feel like a family. Yes, there's things here to prompt you. 
But we want you to turn and look around and say, hey, there's someone I haven't met before. I should go get to meet them. Hey, I haven't seen you before. I'm, I'm Darren. What's your name? Oh, tell me about your family. You have any spouse, kids? How long have you lived in the springs? I mean, just start a conversation. Get to know them. Let them know that you're glad that you're here. they're here. Maybe it'll open up an opportunity actually to pray for them. As you hear something, you may say, you know what? I see that you're struggling in that area or you've got difficulties with, with your mom who's ill or your child who's in school has trouble adjusting. Would you mind if I just say a prayer for you right now? And you can just pause and in a very quiet way. You don't even have to close your eyes. We learned that last year. You can pray with your eyes. Say, Lord, I just prayed for my new friend here and that you'd bless their family and, and help their child adjust, whatever it is. You just, just, say a, just say a sincere prayer. And sometimes you may want to even take it further and say, you know what? My wife and I'd love to have you over for coffee and, and dessert some night. Could we get your number and make contact with you? Or, hey, what are you doing after church today? We, we always kind of keep some time available. We'd love to take you over to, um, to IHOP or, or um, someplace like that and just, to, just to get to visit with you. Take it a step further. Uh, or maybe say, hey, how about we get coffee this week? I'd like to follow up our conversation. And just show an interest. Make people a priority. See, we were called not only to believe, but to belong to one another.